so grateful. Thank you so much. Praise God. Love you, sir. Thank you. Oh, man. Um, can I, James, you help me here, brother? Can we just take this thing down? I just, uh, I just don't like it. <laughs> That's just me, though. Uh, not saying it's wrong. It's just me. Um, just like looking at people, being close, uh, get close to people. Always my encouragement for you. Um, never shy away from folk. Amen. Never, never shy away, folks. Look where you can see folks in your eyes, you know, uh, and I believe it was uh, Paul uh, in the book of Acts that says that there was a time he was there and he looked and he saw faith in somebody. Isn't that cool? He was close enough to see faith. You want to live your life where you're close enough to see faith. Amen. Close enough to see faith dawn in someone's heart, faith dawn in someone's eyes. So live close to people. Right, never live apart. So that's why I just say that's why I do that. I want to ask my wife Selena to stand up. It's uh, always a pleasure to introduce the lady that uh, has put up with me for coming on 25 years, and so that's pretty pretty cool uh, right there. And like Eloise said, Yo, go God, right? Because it it took God to live with me for 25 years. Amen. Um, but this morning, uh, if you will, um, let's start in prayer. And then they'll take off, and uh, we'll see where the Lord takes us. Father, we love you so much. So grateful, as always, uh, to just bring your word and to hear together and to learn together. Holy Spirit, we are so dependent on you, Lord, not just to, not just to teach and to speak, but, Lord, to be transformed and to learn and to grow in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Uh, this morning, I want to start by just telling you a little bit about our church uh, and there's a point for this because this morning I really am going to focus and speak to the men that are here. This is not to the exclusion of you ladies at all, uh, but just by the prompting of, of the Spirit, I really want to pour in uh, to the men of this church uh, and really just share some things from, from my heart and from my journey um, and just uh, build you up. Uh, the analogy, the imagination, I'm trying to change that word, the imagination that the Lord has given me is one that we as men, we're, we're like the tide, right? We're like the tide of culture. And as we rise, everyone who rides upon us rises with us. So when men get better, everyone gets better. Amen. All the women said? Amen. Amen. Please hear me. This is not the exclusion of ladies, okay? Please hear me. There'll be things we can apply, and you can always apply everything from the Word, but I really want to pour into the heart uh, of the men of this church uh, today. We've come to really consider your church one of our homes, right? And uh, from our family, all my kids were really jealous that we're here, and they're not. Um, you'll get to see our, our uh, third daughter, uh, Savannah, at the youth camp. She's coming, uh, so make sure you pick on her real hard. Uh, tell her tell her, uh, her dad said you should do it, so it'll be great. Um and all that kind of fun, but uh, just enjoying this. Um, but when we started our church in Alabama, um, uh, and the Lord nudged us to do so, uh, I really just didn't want to start another church. Does that make sense? You know, in Alabama, we say like this, you can't throw a dead cat without hitting a church. You know what I mean? It's just there's one on every street corner uh, and all this kind of stuff. And so I just didn't want to start another church just to, to do one. So we were really seeking the Lord and, and praying. And this is what he said. He said, I will help you build a place where people can belong. I'll help you build a place where people can be known. And what he meant by that is known beyond the color of their skin, known beyond what is just seen and perceived in the physical, but you would be known by who God had made you to be, be known by your gifting, be known by your calling, be known by the heart 
Uh, again, I, I love what uh, Martin Luther King Jr. said in our town. He said that people would be known by the content of their character more than the color of their skin. Amen. And so to be known by the content of our character. And then he said this. He said, and I'll help you build a place where people can become. They can become what I have made them to be from the beginning. And then from that, it's kind of like a telescope happened. He began to expand that word become. He said, I will help you build strong men. And I will help you build strong families. And I will help you establish a strong core within the heart of the people. And then one more time, he expanded that word core. He said, I'll help you teach people how to know me, how to hear me, and how to do the word effortlessly. Right? So that's just a bit of who we are. But uh, when I was praying about this morning, uh, Holy Spirit just really honed in on the part about building strong men. So today, we're going to talk about the biblical bravery of manhood. Because again, even in that, we can have misconceptions in our culture. Uh, I'm not just speaking, we love our, our, our veterans and our civil servants, men and women who literally do show bravery in the line of fire, and that is wonderful. But I want to talk about biblical bravery. What does it look like to be a brave man from the Bible perspective? So go, if you will, with me to Proverbs chapter 13. Proverbs chapter 13. And we're going to borrow a phrase from Proverbs and talk about becoming a good man. Because a good man is a brave man. But what does a good man look like? Ladies, how many of you want a good man? Yeah. Amen. All my single girls here, I need you to pay attention. Okay, this is what you're looking for. Amen. I love, uh, what was his pastor, uh, uh, Jensen? What's his name, Jensen? The guy, Franklin Jensen. I like that he has this great sermon. You can go, it's hilarious. He talks about Boaz. Right, the guy Boaz who was there, he goes, but Boaz had some cousins, right? They were lazy ass, cheap ass, broke ass. <laughs> Amen. Guys, ladies, you're looking for a Boaz, not one of his cousins, all right? So you're looking for a good man. So this is for you young ladies, right? So it says here in Proverbs chapter, I'm just trying to lighten the mood. Y'all looked a little, little, little nervous when I started talking about manhood, so we're just... <clears throat> making Selena nervous. That's good. That means I'm doing a good job. Awesome. Amen. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 22. I'm going to read it from the Amplified Bible. It says this. It says, A good man leaves an inheritance of moral stability and goodness to his children's children. And it says, And the wealth of the sinner finds its way eventually into the hands of the righteous for whom it was laid up. But look at that here. Solomon says, he says, a good man. Everybody say a good man. Men, I want you, if you're willing to say, I want to be a good man. Now I want you to say this, I am a good man. Amen. So a good man thinks in generations. A good man doesn't think of just himself in his lifetime. Here, the wisdom of the word is, is a good man is looking ahead at least for three generations. Again, when we talk about building a family, gentlemen, I'm not talking about me and my wife and our six kids. Scripture teaches us that God defines the family minimally for three generations. How do we know that? Y'all, please help me with some good Bible verses, right? We know him, Jesus said, around Matthew. We know God as the God of Abraham, 
Y'all help me out. Now play my game with me or I'll start picking on you, right? We know him as the God of so we know him as the God of three generations. He established a covenant for three generations. Here itself, it says a good man leaves an inheritance for his children and his children's children. So three generations. You can fast forward and look in Timothy, and I believe it's in First or Second Timothy. I think it's 2 Timothy, the first chapter. Paul talking about Timothy, and he says, I remember and call to mind your genuine faith that you learned from your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. So ladies, this applies to you too, right? So Timothy had a faith that was given to him from three generations. Gentlemen, a good man is not thinking about his lifetime. A good man is thinking about his generations to come. Because a good man thinks in generations. It's my desire with all my heart to not just be a father today, but my desire is truly to be a patriarch for my family. Right, I, I understand that for me, and maybe you're like me, in, in my family, in many ways, I am like Abraham. I am the first of many to break away and to follow after God. Anybody else like that besides me? That you might be, I remember when we lived in Canada, it was an interesting, we pastored for 10 years in Canada, and I started talking to our people that the Lord sent us, and I discovered that probably well north of about 70, 75% of our people were first-generation Christians. They were the first one in multiple generations to put their faith in Jesus Christ. They were really like Abraham, right? Someone who is breaking away and starting a new line, right? But to do that well, guys, we must think about generations ahead. Does that make sense? And to think generationally, that means that I also then have to be a man who thinks with a vision in mind. So first of all, I'm a man who thinks in multiple generations. Next, I'm a man who is hungry for a vision from God. I'm hungry to see, it says, and I didn't write this down, you'll have to look it up later, but in Proverbs, right, we know this, it says, without a vision, what happens? It says the people perish, right? You remember that verse that without, I love what it says in one translation, without a prophetic vision from God then the people perish. I love for all my Spanish folk here, I love what the Spanish Bible says with that verse. It says, sin vision profetica se desenfrena la gente. It says that the people live life without breaks. See, vision just doesn't tell you what to do, it tells you what to not do. Vision gives you the ability not only to say yes to things, but it gives you the ability to say no to things. And it says that people that have no vision, no revelation from God about where he is taking them, it's like driving a car without brakes. You ever had that happen to you before? You ever been, remember when we were a kid, my mom had a 1976 kind of minty green uh, exterior with a dark Kelly green leather interior Lincoln town car. Ugliest car on the planet, <laughs> right? Thing was like half a block long. It was huge, <laughs> Right? And we're going down a hill in Alabama, and it was a hill, leaving our house. We went down a hill, and it hit Cane Creek Road, and it teed. And Mom comes over the hill, comes over the top, hits the brakes, no brakes. And this thing's picking up speed. <laughs> and we're going down, so we start praying in tongues, right? <laughs> Amen. And Mom, I don't know how Mom pulled out her NASCAR skills. Mom took that turn, slid, 
did a complete 180 and pulled into Cane Creek Church Baptist Church parking lot. And we sat there and said, thank you, Jesus, right? Amen. But that's what it's like to not have a vision. To not ask God, Lord, show me. Show me what you're doing. Paint the picture inside of me. Again, not just of who I am, but paint the picture of where you're taking the Holomans. Paint the picture of the land of promise you have for us. Show me, Lord. Teach me, Lord. Guide me. Does that make sense? Because we're not living for just us. Right? I, I pray with all my heart that every one of you loses the vision of retirement. I'm sorry. Hey, this side seems excited. Y'all are? I do. I, I pray with all my heart none of you have a number in mind that tells you when to stop. Because statistically, those who sit there and say, I'm going to stop and I retire, they die within five years. Because God didn't make you to stop. God didn't make, God didn't put any quit in you. Oh, amen. Praise God. Amen. And God wants to give you and has for you a vision that lasts well beyond your lifetime. Hmm. This all right? Okay. We're just going to go. I mean, I love, we're, we're readers and stuff. I encourage you, it's a little bit dry like cracker juice. That's a joke. You can laugh. Uh, but, uh, but there's a book, it's written by William Bradford. It's called Of Plymouth Plantation. If you remember, Bradford was the governor of the Plymouth colony that came over, right? And so Of Plymouth Plantation, you read through it, tells their journey. But in the first chapters, he lays out the four reasons why they journeyed to the Americas. And he tells us why, but my favorite is the fourth one. And this is what Bradford said. He says, but by God's help, we might become stepping stones for future generations. That they might stand upon our achievements and take the gospel of Jesus Christ to this continent. Hallelujah. Come on now. Aren't you glad there were folks who had a vision bigger than their life? Aren't you glad there were folks who said, I'm going to take my life and turn it into a stepping stone. I'm going to turn my accomplishments into a paver that will lay down so that others will stand upon me and go further because of who I am. See, that's a good man. I mean, a good man thinks that way. Are you all with me? Amen. Hmm. Which way to go, Holy Spirit? Let's look at a couple of things. Go to... Um, Genesis 18. This all right this morning? Everybody all right? Genesis chapter 18. Again, talking about, and you'll hear me use this word patriarch. I, I really was nervous about using it because I know it's garnered such a bad connotation. Uh, really, it's an interesting word. It, it, it's uh, patria and arca, arca in the Greek language. And literally, patria just means family, and arca just means to rule. So basically the word patriarch just means one who rules a family. We might say it like this, one who leads a family, right? One who guides a family. Again, gentlemen, that's our privilege. Amen. If you're here and you have a family, you're a patriarch. Amen. You're one who's ruling, who's leading, guiding, directing your family. Amen. And it's all right. And ladies, if you're here 
and you're alone, you're a single mom, then I just, you're a patriarch too. You'll hear this is not exclusionary. But notice, have you ever wondered, talking of patriarchs, why God picked Abraham? I'm the only one. Okay, gotcha. You ever wondered? Ever says, oh, so God looks across and he says, I'm going to pick Abraham. I'm going to choose that guy. Now, we know it wasn't for his stellar character because he's the dude that sold his wife up the river twice. Right? <laughs> Selena might have given me once for that. Maybe. Maybe. And then that would have been it. I would have been done. Right? It would have been a funeral. And I'd have... <laughs> but no, Abraham sold Sarah up the river twice, two separate kings. Amen. So it wasn't, it wasn't that he was a great stalwart man of, of integrity. So why did God pick him? He tells us in Genesis chapter 18. It says in uh, verse 17, And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? Since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed in him. For I have known him in order, now notice this, that he might command his children and his household after him. Why, why did God pick Abraham? Because he knew Abraham would teach his family. He knew that Abraham, at least, when he heard the instruction from, Lord, from the Lord, Abraham had the heart that I will put this into the children God gives me. I will put this into my whole household. I will put this into my servants. I will put this into those who work for me. I will put this into those who, who are connected to me. I will take the covenant relationship of God, and I will make sure it gets passed on. Amen. See, that's a good man. That's a good man who says, I'm not going to keep my faith to myself. I'm not going to keep my faith private. This is not just a personal matter. Amen. No, but this is something that if God has entrusted it to me, it's the greatest treasure. Again, Paul said in the New Testament, man, we have been given a treasure placed within an earthen vessel. Not that we would hide that treasure, but that we would invest that treasure that we would invest that treasure of covenant relationship into our family. Praise God. Hallelujah. And I love the fact that God honors that. Psalms 105, it says that God will honor the covenant relationship up to a thousand generations. God is serious about this generational stuff. Aren't you glad about that? Again, for time's sake, I'm just going to hear just a minute. If you're here and you have a prodigal child, I want to take some time. We're going to pray for you and pray for your family. Because if you're here and you're a believer, God says he will keep your heritage for a thousand generations. Praise God. Aren't you glad about that? When you enter into a relationship with him, God takes up ownership of your generations. Oh, God, I'm glad somebody's excited. Amen. Because, you know, I, got, I love all my kids, but a couple of them are knuckleheads. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> they just take after their dad. It's not their fault. I mean, and I'm glad that God is way, way, way invested into my generations. Amen. I'm glad that he's a great steward of the covenant he's, he's put inside of us. Amen. Are you with me? Mm. Is this helping anybody this morning? You got time? I'm going to tell you a story. 
and we'll see where we go after this. It's probably my favorite Bible story. We won't read it from the Bible. You can read it at home. I'll just tell it to you. It's in Jeremiah chapter 35, right? It's probably one of the least known Bible stories uh, that I've ever run into. But it's the story of the Rechabites, right? It's the story of, of the Rechabite family who was started by a man by the name of Jonadab, if I'm not uh, mispronouncing it or, or incorrect, right? But it says a man by the name of Jonadab who was a Rechabite, he gave instruction to his children that they were to do and not do certain things. He told them, you can't plant vineyards anymore. He says, you can't own property anymore. You need to live in tents. And you need to keep herds of sheep and you'll be nomads. And this was the instruction of Jonadab to his family. Well, this is how the story goes. This is, again, in Jeremiah. God speaks to Jeremiah and says, Jeremiah, I need you to call all the leaders of the family of the Rechabites and bring them into Jerusalem, bring them to the temple. And he told them a certain room. He said, set aside this room over here. And you're to offer every one of the leaders a big bowl of wine. And give it to him. Now remember, this is Old Testament, right? When the prophet told you to do stuff, it was a different day. You didn't do it, and bears came out, and bad things happened, right? I mean, you know, it was, you know, this was not necessarily, you know, this kind of like personal preference. So here comes Jeremiah. He does it. He pours up the wine. He calls in the Rechabite leaders, the heads of the households, the patriarchs, and he brings them in. He says, drink the wine. And in my imagination, they all kind of look at each other a little sideways and Finally, the eldest one steps up and says, Sir, I am so sorry, but we can't drink the wine. And Jeremiah says, How come? And the leader of the Rechabite class says, Because 250 years ago, everybody say 250 years. 250 years ago, our forefather, Jonadab, told us we couldn't plant vineyards nor drink wine. And for 250 years, we have obeyed the word of our father. And we've done what he said. And then God speaks to Jeremiah and begins to say, if Israel would have obeyed my voice as these men had obeyed the voice of their father, then the destruction that was about to happen in Jerusalem would not happen. And he goes on and says, and at the end of the story he says, but because you guys, Jeremiah speaks to the Rechabites, but because you have obeyed the voice of your father and been faithful, what falls on Israel will not fall on you. But listen to me, guys. 250 years. Can we take a moment here just for a minute? I want you to imagine, where would you like your descendants to be in 250 years? Can we do that if you want to just close your eyes this morning? And especially you fathers, you men, I want you to, where would you want your family to be? Your great, 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 I don't know how many greats that would be. Your descendants, your heirs, your generations. Where do you want them to be in 250 years? Amen. Hmm. I mean, if you will, if you begin to see something, begin to take notes on that. Begin to write that down. 
prayerfully consider. Where you would want your family to be 250 years from today. Mm, thank you, Father. Begin to ask Father for that kind of vision. For that kind of imagination. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Can you see it? Is it beginning of a glimmer? Now, how many of you, to be honest, go, holy cow. What's this crazy guy from Alabama talking about? <laughs> I understand that that is not common for us. I understand that the culture of our nation that we live in is very myopic. The culture of our nation teaches us to think about me and possibly to get me to 65. <laughs> you know, that, that's what our nation does. That's what we're taught, right? Man, just go to school, get good grades, go get you a good career. Go work for a little while. Save you up some money so that when you hit some mystic number that seems way distant, right? Our young people, how many of you young people you think 65 is like ancient? Come on now, be honest. <laughs> Amen. Somebody, I, I used to be that way. Hey, listen to me. I'm almost 50. Amen. So 65 is like one teenager away. <laughs> you know, so all of a sudden I'm like going, holy moly. It's right here. But listen to me. You know you're eternal, right? Only your body is bound by time. But your, but your imagination isn't. The heritage, remember Paul says this in a verse. He says, this one thing I do. He says, I forget that which is behind. And I turn and I look forward. And he says this, and I press towards the mark of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now, isn't it interesting that you and I can read that verse, meditate that verse, and quote that verse, and Paul died in about the year 60-something A.D. Paul had enough vision from the Spirit to write things down. And you and I are still partaking of the ministry of Paul today. Come on, that's the upward call. The upward call is God has revealed things to you and shown things to you. Live your life today with the heart that I will capture the revelation of God with which he has given me and I will freeze it for generations ahead. I will freeze it in time. I will freeze it in writing. I will freeze it. Aren't you? I will freeze it with one of these and I'll leave a heritage for those who come behind me I mean again not to get too far off but you know Facebook for all our woes I love Facebook is the only way I've been able to actually consistently journal right because I'm just too much of an ADHD squirrel right I mean 
Does that make sense? And so it's been a great tool. So I've, I've set up Selena. She is my administrator. My when One day, either through death or whatever happens, if I die, she'll freeze Facebook and they'll lock it in place so that future generations can read it. Leverage what we have today. Why? To capture the revelation of God from you and freeze it for your heritage. I'm, I'm going to leave this one psalm and then I want to take time and pray. Psalm 78, I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation. Because again, I understand that what we've shared in this very, very brief time, there's so much more we could say. And, and again, as, as my daughter Audra would say, I hope just a little bit I fried your fritter. <laughs> Amen. I hope just a little bit I've, I've kind of expanded some things in you. At least that's all I had. I had 30 minutes to try to kick open a door and open up a new pasture for you to think in just for a second. Amen. 250 years. Where would you want your family to be? That starts today. And it starts like this. Psalms 78. Oh, my people, listen to my instructions. Open your ears to what I am saying, for I will speak to you in a story. I will teach you hidden lessons from our past. Stories we have heard and known. Stories our ancestors headed down to us. We will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about his power and his mighty works. For he issued his laws to Jacob. He gave instructions to Israel. He commanded our ancestors to teach them to their children so that the next generation might know, even children not yet born. And they in turn will teach their own children so that each generation should set its hope afresh and anew on God, not forgetting his glorious miracles and obeying his commands. Then they will not be like our ancestors, stubborn, rebellious, and unfaithful, refusing to give their hearts to God. So how does this begin? Tell your story. Tell your God stories to your children. When you sit at night, and again, and, and real quick, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, God gives us, interestingly, four windows of a day when it seems best to impart faith to our children. He said, you will diligently teach your children when you rise up. So there's a window in the morning. When you lie down, there's a window at bedtime. It says, when you sit in your house, amen, I always call that, that's dinner time or a meal time, and when you walk in the way. Now, most of us don't walk. Now, here, I love Phoenix. Y'all walk a lot more than Alabamians do. Alabamians drive everywhere, right? We have, like, almost no sidewalks. That's why we're fat, right? Um, and so just, just throwing it out there. I mean, just being honest and stuff. So we call it drive time because nobody walks, right? And so, but listen, do you see that? There, there's four windows, a morning time, a bedtime, a meal time, and the time when you're captured in a journey together, in a car or on a walk. God says, hey, listen, pay attention. These are windows for your story. These are windows when you tell your story and it goes into the hearts of your children. Amen. I've got to do a better job about that. I don't know about you. I truly do. I've seen things. I've experienced things. And I haven't told my kids. Right, so help me remember that, please. Does that make sense? 
But tell your story. How does this begin? Tell your God stories. Tell the stories of what God has done in your life. Amen. Record them. Write them down. Do something. Leave them as a heritage so that your generations will know the faithfulness of God in the land of the living. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Well, if you're here today and you've got a prodigal child, if you want to just bow your heads, close your eyes, if you're here and you can say, Brad, I've got a child or, or maybe more than one child that's not following the Lord uh, as, as they should or maybe they could. Would you just raise your hand? Let me see that. Is anybody here? That, that's you. Amen. Thank you for doing that. Thank you. Thank you. I see those hands all over, just different hands. Hmm. How do you want to do this, Holy Spirit? Hmm. I mean, if you're, if you're willing and you'd like to, and if you have a problem, would you stand up? I mean, if that's you and you've got a, a child that's not following God on, and what I'm going to ask the church family to do is to look around. I want you to go and stand with those who are standing. Let the Holy Spirit lead and guide you and direct you to somebody. I want everyone to be involved. No one, please stay seated and just watching. Amen. But get up and go and, and just put your hand on somebody. Amen. And let's agree. Hmm. Just begin to pray as the Spirit leads you. Hmm. Amen. Amen. And I'm going to pray here. And I'm going to pray with James. And James, if you let me, I'm going to pray specifically with you and for you. But I'm going to use it as a guide for everybody else. Is that okay with you? Amen. Is that okay? Thank you. So I'm just going to, as I pray with James, I want you to pray in just a just follow along in your thinking, but also follow along in the Spirit. Amen. Use what I'm about to say, not because I'm saying it, but because the Holy Spirit's going to lead us. And let it guide you as well. Amen. So, Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. And, Lord, I, I stand with my brother. Hallelujah. And, Lord, I thank you. Lord, he is a good man. Amen. He is your son. Amen. He is your child. And he is a faithful child to the gospel and to the covenant of faith. Mm. So right now, James, this to you. I just speak to you. Amen. And if you'll look at me just real quick, you're a good dad. Amen. You're a good. Don't ever doubt that ever again. Amen. You know, God had two kids and he lost both of them. <laughs> He's a good dad. You're a good dad. You're a good dad. Don't ever doubt. You're a good father. Amen. So, Father, I just come, and, Lord, I agree with my brother. Lord, I'm so thankful for your faithfulness to the covenant that we share and that we hold. And, Father, Lord, I call his children home in the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray for them that they have a prodigal son moment where they come to themselves in the middle of their own pig pen, that they wake up and they shake themselves, and they look up and they go, What am I doing? It is better in Father's house. Hallelujah. Lord, I pray just as Jesus told us to pray, Lord, that you are now sending people into their life. You are sending other faithful children of the kingdom to them. And they will let themselves become the hound dogs of heaven. And they will pursue his children. Lord, with their nose to the ground and their heart full of love, they will go after them. And they will show up. And they will show out. And they will pour in to James's children in the name of Jesus Christ. 
Hallelujah. I pray, Lord God, as Hosea prayed about his wife, Gomer, that you set a hedge of thorns around his kids in Jesus' name. And what used to bring pleasure will now bring a prick. What used to bring uh, enjoyment will now be painful, and they will find themselves hedged about by the thorns of their sin, and it will turn their hearts to you. It will turn their hearts to peace in Jesus' name. And we thank you for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Because you are faithful. You, Father, are faithful to James's thousand generations. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. That in heaven, in our future, hallelujah, there are thousand generations of little Jameses going to be there. Amen. There are going to be thousands and thousands of his heritage there. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Amen. And that you fill his imagination in the days of eternity that now he will see that when he is with you in your presence amen that thousands of his generations will come to him as the Abraham of their family and say thank you for believing thank you for trusting thank you for becoming a God man in Jesus name amen and amen and amen and amen amen Amen. Praise God. Amen. Well, if you believe that, and if your trust is in that, just raise your hands and this all together, let's say, Lord, thank you. Father, thank you for your faithfulness. Lord, thank you for your goodness. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you are faithful with my generations. Lord, thank you that you are faithful with my children. Lord God, thank you. You are faithful for generations ahead of my family. Thank you, Father. So, Lord, today, remind me of the stories. Lord, my commitment to you today is I will tell the stories. I will tell the stories of the things I've seen, the things you've done, or the places you've shown up. Lord, your faithfulness to restore and redeem. So grateful for you, Father. So grateful to be called your son. In Jesus' name, amen, 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 amen.